Welcome to the 2018 season of Flushing Transit Authority. I'm Will Stegman, and with me is Jay Bushman. Hey, Will. Uh, welcome to season two. We yeah. made it back. We made it. Um, Jay, I should specify for those who have forgotten, Flushing Transit Authority is a New York Mets podcast. And um, for reasons you will discover very soon, Flushing Transit Authority, it's the podcast that takes you places. <laughs> We're going to try anyway. We're going to try. Yeah. Um, it's um, it's March, which means it's spring training. Yes. Um, and uh, I think we're going to have to get ourselves uh, uh, through our own podcast spring training to get ourselves in game shape. Yeah, I think this is very much a spring workout. Mm-hmm. It's been a long, dark, and cold winter, um, both in terms of there not being baseball and everything else in the world. So I have to say, I've been looking forward to sitting across a table from you to talk about the Mets since October. Oh, thanks, Will. Me too. It's um, it's It's been a really strange off-season. And I have to say, like, I don't know what your experience has been, but I expect you to get a whole lot more multi-year offers this off-season than came in. And I'm not really sure what's up with that. I think yeah. Maybe there's some collusion in the podcast space. I turned down a couple of offers from a, a few podcasts to stay here. Hometown discount. <laughs> Um, the we one thing that. the one thing we got from last season is I have upgraded my recording space. Yes, we are recording this um, in a new home. We're recording this at Flushing Transit Authority North, um, which is the place where I now live um, with my wife, who is uh, past guest Nina Bargal. Nice. So, like I said, it's great to be back talking about the Mets. Um, before we get too deep into spring training and what we're going to be doing. I'd like to take a moment to thank everybody who listened to us in 2017, and we thank you for doing that and coming back for more. Um, Look, I would do this and just talk to you and nobody would hear it, but I appreciate that some of you guys meet with us every couple of weeks to hear us talk about the Mets. And I, I really appreciate the you know questions we got um, online about when we were coming back, which was a There's unique a... feeling. And we were going to wait until the start of the season. It was like, you know what? You can get lost in the minutia of spring training. And, you know, for me, after the first week, the novelty wears off, and I'm like, let's get to games that count. Let's get to games that count. But, um, you know, I wanted to get back into this. And even though we don't have games to talk about, we have other things to talk about. I want to just point out if you, this is a new recording space, and if you hear something in the background, that is my dog, Olive, who is walking around on the floor. We're going to try to edit her out, but she may participate. Um, maybe we'll uh, we'll get her on as a guest with her official thoughts um, vis-a-vis dogs running onto the field. <laughs> so, you know, Jay, one thing we talked about in the uh, planning for this season is some stuff that we wanted to do a little bit differently this sure. year. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about sort of setting the table for the upcoming season. Well, one of the things we'd originally talked about with this podcast is that, you know, Neither, neither of us are, are what I think we would describe as experts. We're not sabermetricians. We're not, you know, people who read deep, deep into the stat sheet to try and surface insights about, about the product on the field. There are a million other podcasts that do that. What we are is we, like, um, like many of you, are passionate fans who have a story that's part of our lives that wraps around the teams that we that we root for. And we started this last year with an intention of telling those stories. 
And then 2017 went crazy. <laughs> like, the weird nature of the 2017 Mets took us away from what we started to do because you couldn't help but talk about the team. You know, we started out with this like, oh, the Mets are going to contend and it's going to be great. And then it turned out to be this weird, strange year where nothing gelled, nothing happened. And then we would go through moments of having hopes and then those hopes get dashed against the rocks of a Ioannis Cespedes hamstring injury. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Matt Harvey's, uh, did Matt Harvey die? Um, he certainly was in the intensive care unit. But he's he's doing okay. Certain, uh, portion of the season. Noah Syndergaard missing most of oh, the season. Um, that's all behind us now. I think the I think the theme for 2017 was watching in, with creeping horror. Yes. And and there was really not much else we could do but just sort of get together every other week to try and process that. It was a little group therapy for yeah. us throughout the year. Um, you know, so we spent all of last year, instead of telling stories, we told some of them, but not all the ones we wanted to. We spent time talking about injuries, talking about who we wanted fired from the training staff. Mm-hmm. Like when you're digging into the training staff on your podcast, That's your team's good. having a bad year. Yeah, yeah. So, but these were the issues that came up. You couldn't talk about the 2017 Mets without talking about that slowly unfolding horror <laughs> in front of you. So as we look to 2018, um, you know, I'm hopeful that um, we don't have all of those panicked discussions and we have more time to talk about the unique aspects of being a Mets fan, which is twofold. One is it's, it's what sort of made you and I become friends, that mm-hmm. sort of shared experience yes. of talking about games we'd watched, games we'd been to, favorite players and then the unique sort of highs and lows and heartbreaks of, of following the Mets. So what we're going to do to start this year is dig into some of those stories. So Jay, welcome to the 2018 season of Flushing Transit Authority. 2018. It can't get much worse. <laughs> Are you ready to go? I, I think I'm ready to go. Yeah. All right. So uh, Jay, if you don't mind, I'm going to start. You go for tell it. a little story here. So, you know, we're on the cusp of a new season, so it makes sense to talk about sort of the new beginning that comes with every season. You know, it's super cliche Mm -hmm. to say that every team starts anew and every team's in first place on opening day. But cliches contain a kernel of truth. You know, they came from a truism and then sort of lost their meaning. But, you know, every team, whether you're the Atlanta Braves, the Philadelphia Phillies, the garbage St. Louis Cardinals (laughs) or the New York Mets. On opening day, you have a chance. And every team, if they've got the right combination of skill, luck, timing, and money, can make the season something more than what we had last year, which was like that six-month grind for (sighs) the players, for the fans, the hardworking podcasters, Mm -hmm. the concession sellers. It was a long year. When you when you're hanging your hopes and you're hanging your 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 dreams on Rafael Montero the way we were by the end of last year, you know that's not a place you want to be. Yeah, and you know we'll we'll talk about specific players later. I have some strong feelings about <laughs> who should be on the forty man and who should be on the twenty five man and who shouldn't. But that's let's save that for April. It's still March. Yeah, everything they're undefeated. So let's talk a little bit about you know for forty years now.
what makes that period of January and February bearable. Um, for me, opening day is probably my New Year's Day. Mm-hmm. Like it's the point where the calendar turns for me because no matter no matter what happened over the past twelve months, opening day is new start. Last year doesn't matter. Mistakes don't matter. Right. We're going back in. You know, throw all the cliches out. Calendar turns turns over to a new year, and everything is still possible for everybody. But as far as I'm concerned, it's still possible for the Mets. Yes. Good luck to the other teams, but <laughs> more good luck to the Mets. So the thing is, I wasn't alive for the early 60s Mets or the 69 Miracle Mets. I missed the 73 Mets because I foolishly had not been born yet. Um, But thankfully for me, my father was around for all of those things, and he filled me in on what it felt like sort of as a fan of the early Mets. So he was there for the worst Mets teams of all time, and then he was there for the Miracle. Mm -hmm. So he's always said that the spring of 1969 was the first time he came into the year really believing that the Mets could do something. Um, you know, he would always tell me about, like, you know, that was the year that, you know, they had Tom Seaver and Jerry Kuzman, and they had this young pitching staff that was the best staff in the National League, and, you know, they had enough hitting to compete in what we now realize was a sort of a, a low offensive era. So the combination of you got enough bats, you've got a pitching staff that can shut down any team in the league, and then the thing that got my dad excited was Gil Hodges was there. You know, and he had been there for a while, but Gil Hodges had sort of stamped the team. They were no longer lovable losers. Gil Hodges was a New York legend long before the Mets were around. Right. And that had sort of an era, not an era, that brought in sort of an air of um, what's respectability. Um, you know, he showed, my dad would always say that, like, you know, what Gil Hodges did for the Mets was turn the culture around. Culture change. We, yes. we hear a lot about that uh, this year. So, you know, maybe maybe there's something to it. Yeah. So he always said that, like, that year of 1969, he came into it with the same mm-hmm. hope that we bring into every year. And that was the year that his the reality exceeded his dreams. I missed those years. But in my lifetime, I've had that mix of sort of big hopes mm-hmm. and delusional hopes, <laughs> prayers, <laughs> as the Mets start the season. And every winter, I get all this time to think about right. what's going right. on. And right. you and I talk about it throughout yeah. the winter. Mm-hmm. And other friends and I, you know, I probably email somebody about the Mets every day of the offseason. <laughs> so every year, I talk myself into this series of like elaborate self-delusions right. about like how the Mets can make it work. I remember last year you made the bold prediction that they were going to go 162 and up. I believed it. Belie- believed it in my heart that they were going to do I'm it. I'm sure you believe it again this year. I do. Okay. But every year, we've done this for years now, you go through that dance of like, no, the Mets just need one piece. <laughs> they just need Mo Vaughn. They just need Jason Bay. Let's go through some other one pieces the Mets oh need. My. They just need Bobby Bonilla. Bobby Bo. They just need Roberto Alomar. Mm-hmm. My favorite, they just need Art Howe. Oh, God. Art, Art Howe is going to save the oh, day. Oh, God. Like, Talk about culture change. And I'm not, like, let's not stop there. Like, 
I'm not the only one who thought that Pedro Martinez could recapture past glories with the Mets. And not that he was bad, but he was never going to be Pedro 1999. No, no, but I mean, Pedro, I mean, Pedro, in talk about culture change, Pedro was this sort of announcement that, yeah. that, 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 that then, and you know, that whole period kind of gets murky in my memory, but, but if memory serves, that's the first really big uh, move under Omar Minaya yeah. that announced that the Mets were open for business. And, and you know shortly what? thereafter, we got Carlos Beltran. Man, Carlos. Let's just tip our caps to the recently retired Carlos Beltran. May no one ever blame Beltran again. Never. Good for him getting a ring. So anyway, I, I can go further. Like, there's Pedro. Mm-hmm. There's the belief that we have that, hey, maybe Johan Santana can stay healthy. <laughs> like, we go through it. Yeah. And I know for a fact that, like, I wasn't the only person, I'm not the only person in this room right now <laughs> who believed that last year the Mets were going to contend. Yes. And, like, I felt personally offended that they didn't um, you know lead up to what I thought live up to what I thought were totally reasonable expectations so I'm trying to temper that because I realize after all of these years that being a Mets fan requires you to believe no matter how improbable but also keep a backup plan handy <laughs> like, yes for me the backup plan was uh, well we're going to talk about this but like you know towards the end of the season I'm like Oh, thank goodness for the MLB Extra Innings package, because I'm like, oh, I'm going to see what the Twins are doing, (laughs) and I'm going to just follow other games, and then maybe peek in at the Mets every now and then to see how Rafael Montero is throwing. So, you know, as we're here again, um, you know, I've got those that 162-0 hope. I think that if they get lucky, they can do the thing that we say on this podcast. What's the one thing we want the Mets to do? It's play meaningful, meaningful games, games in, in September. September. Yes. So I'll get into all the reasons why I think the 2018 Mets can do it, but we're going to do that later. For today, okay. I want to talk about sort of hope I had for a season that um, went beyond baseball. And like my father and the 1969 Mets, this was a hope that paid off mm. in ways that I could never have imagined. Okay. So I'm going to take you way back. In the dead of winter of January 1982. Okay. Take yourself back. 82, the Frank Tavares years. The Frank Tavares years. That was the first year that George Bamberger was manager of the the Mets. Um, I have to tell you, if if I had to name the starting, the opening day starter from that year, I couldn't do it. Um, I remember Ron Hodges was still on the team. Uh Uh, I'll get, as I tell this story, into one of my favorite Mets of that era. Mm -hmm. So, Dead of Winter 82. Um, There's very little reason to be optimistic about the Mets. Um, But I'm super excited because I turned eight years old that year. Mm -hmm. And there's something about being, you know, there's a big difference between being seven years old and eight years old, at least in my memory. (laughs) Because I think the difference between the 81 season and the 82 season was... As an eight-year-old, I finally had my own opinions about the team. I had watched enough games so that I wasn't just repeating what my dad said. I was watching and, and, you know, they were probably dumb opinions, like, I think that guy's got a big butt or something stupid. (laughs) But, like, I had thoughts. So, and it was the first year, it was also important, first year I had my own glove. Now... It wasn't even like a real, like, you know, leather, like, you know, Rawlings. Mm -hmm. It was like a plastic 
thing. Oh, yeah. Those, I you know, it was those. like, yeah. oh, I, I'll never have the forty dollars it takes right. to get me a real <laughs> replica. You know, autographed. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, who? Let's see, who? What Met would have had? I can't think of a Met that would have had an an Ellis Valentine signed. Yes, an Ellis Valentine. You know, we go a few years later than that, and I. I, when I had to go play in Little League when I was terrible and played in Little League, my dad bought me a Daryl Strawberry signed glove that was red. It was a ah, red glove perfect. and it was signed with his name and I still have it. Perfect. Maybe I'll, I'll dig it out and we'll take a photo of it and we'll put it up uh, That's great. Uh, on the site when we, when we uh, put this live. I love it. So I have this cheap plastic glove, but it's enough for me to wear something that looks like a mitt. Mm-hmm. To walk around the house... With I couldn't throw a baseball around the house because we lived in this little apartment, but like a tennis ball in my hand sure. and a glove on my right hand and a glove on my left hand, and just sort of throw the ball into the glove, and it, it was enough for me because mm-hmm. like it's it's happening. So we live in this little apartment, this basement apartment on Long Island, and I would go into this little utility room we had in the back, and I would bounce a tennis ball against the concrete floor. It would bounce off the wall and come back to me, mm-hmm. and. You know, it allowed me to pretend I was some sort of slick fielding shortstop. Like shortstops appealed to me because also I was a short kid. Okay. And I'm like, well, the name comes. <clears throat> so I'm like, <laughs> in my head, like I'm this slick fielding shortstop. I am the next Ozzy Smith or more likely I am the next Jose Okendo. Oh, yeah. Jose Okendo, who in the 82 season is a 19-year-old on the Mets. Wow. So... This is long before he became sort of the utility legend in St. Louis. Um, he was this just um, he was the he was the um, Ray Ordonez of his time with less remember, with, yeah. with less of a stick at the plate. I remember being that being one of the first times that I was upset that a player left the Mets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was I have to say I've always been very happy for the career that Jose Oquendo yeah. um, carved out for himself. So here's the thing. There's a hitch in my plan to play shortstop for the Mets. I couldn't move to my left or my right because I was alternately in a leg brace and a cast at all times. Yeah. Um, some complications from birth had left me with a little bit of um, motor skills issues that made it hard for me to move and made it hard for me to sort of, with precision, control what my limbs were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, Thanks to physical therapy and surgeries, I'm sitting before you right now drinking coffee from a cup and (laughs) managing to keep my limbs intact. So, but this was really difficult at the time. Um, But there was no way for me to translate the movement I saw in my head. Hmm. That slick sort of slide to your left, scoop the ball, make the throw to first. I could see it in my head. I can see how it would work and I couldn't make it happen. My only strength was the ability to catch anything hit directly at me, which is why bouncing it off the wall, it's just going to come right back to me. Right, yeah. But I dreamt, like, I'm going to move. I'm going to go to my left. I'm going to go to my right. I'm going to charge on a bunt and make a quick snap (laughs) throw to first. Like, my dreams of baseball as a kid were all about fielding. Wow. I, I don't know why. It just appealed to me. In my head now, when I think about if I could do anything, probably to charge a bunt from third or short, <laughs> scoop it up, yeah. and fire to Keith Hernandez at first base. Yeah. Like, that's just my, my lifelong dream. 
because again, my strength was if, if I could reach it, I could catch it. And I had a decent arm. So play to your strengths. Right. So at this point though, you know, you'd think I would realize I had a lack of natural talents and I would temper those dreams, but I didn't because there was something coming that was going to change everything. So in mid-February of that year, I was scheduled to have surgery. And the plan was I was going to go have surgery and then go through a couple of months of physical therapy. And at the end of it, I would, with any luck, have a lot more mobility. I would be able to walk as fast as I wanted to. I would be able to move laterally. And it would take a lot of work, but I would soon be able to go over and scoop up that ground ball. Like that was what I wanted to do. So all through January and February, I'm just bouncing this ball in the house, dreaming about being able to charge a ground ball. <laughs> like I remember playing Little League yeah. and, you know, get you know, a couple of years later and being out in the field and like all I wanted to do was charge ground balls. I would charge <laughs> fly balls. <laughs> You'd charge in and they'd be like, it's over your it's head. three feet over. Yeah. So... In February of 82, my mom takes me to uh, Met's sponsorship partner, the Hospital for Special Surgery in Manhattan, Mm -hmm. where a doctor performed this procedure um, that, again, if it was successful, it would help me to do all of those things that I was talking about. So, you know, surgery went well, no complications, and it's just a matter of waiting for the healing to begin. So they put my leg in a cast just as spring training is kicking off. Mm-hmm. And basically it's like, you basically got six weeks before you know if this is going to work or not. So sit tight. <laughs> so I'm eight years old. I got a cast on my leg and all I care about is the Mets. So I'm trying to be patient. I'm sitting there like anytime I'm not at school, I have a baseball glove on. Mm-hmm. I'm watching the local news, like the WPIX news, for the two minutes of Mets coverage you got at night from Jerry Girard oh, wow. or whomever else. the yeah. uh, So you're waiting for that. Mm-hmm. And so I get that two minutes of Mets coverage, and that would carry me through the day. So my only other option was to wait until my neighbor, I had a neighbor at the time, who would get the, the uh, Long Island Newsday, and then he would read it, and when he was done, he would just throw it out. <laughs> like he would go outside and throw it in the trash. So I just started taking it. Uh-huh. And then he just started leaving it on top of the trash can for me. Oh, that was nice. So you know, like, it wasn't like he, he's like, look, I'm not going to deliver it to you, kid. Right. But you don't got to go digging <laughs> through my garbage <laughs> yeah. to read it. And he knew I was a Mets fan. So I would read the previous, you know, because uh-huh. at that time, what you're reading in the paper is the previous day's news. I guess it still is with newspapers. But anyway, mm-hmm. so I would sit and I'd read, you know, I forget who the Mets beat writers were. Maybe Jack Lang was still there. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. But I would read like the the recaps and read about spring training news and wait mm-hmm. and wait. And so, you know, I'm waiting to heal and I'm waiting to, you know, see if this works. And I'm trying so hard to be patient, but it's tough. Like, again, imagine, you know, just all you want to do is run and you can't and you mm-hmm. don't know if you're going to be able to. So I'm trying so hard to be patient, and even though my leg is in a cast, I am able to um, walk, even with the cast on. Hmm. Like, and I could always walk 
But the best way to describe it before surgery was it was difficult. And it's sort of that, um, you know, sort of wobbly, hard to keep balance, hard to sort of know how my body moved. Mm-hmm. So I was able to first, like, some first I walked across the hall, like, with a nurse holding me up. And then I walked on crutches. And then eventually on my own. Wow. Where I could, over the course of a couple of weeks, just stand up. And instead of sort of tentatively, hesitatingly, Mm -hmm. off balance, walk to school or walk to class, I could just walk. That must have felt unbelievable. It was amazing. So I still have the cast on and I'm walking around like a little Rory Calhoun and having a good time. And before the cast is coming off, they, you know, like, hey, you're making great progress. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this cast off and we're going to put you in a brace. So with the brace on, all of a sudden, I don't have this weight on my leg. And all of a sudden, I feel in a way I've never felt before. Um, It was about five weeks after surgery and about a week before the Mets Mm -hmm. 82 season is about to start. And I'm like, you just have to be careful. You're so close. <laughs> and hey, what, what does an eight-year-old kid have if not patience? Right. So I'm trying to be careful. i got a week to go. But the Friday before the Mets season start, I go get my glove, mm-hmm. and I get the tennis ball, and I go to the back room, and I start bouncing the tennis ball. Because what if the Mets are in the market for an eight-year-old infielder it that year? You, ne- you never know. But the thing was... I, I slowly but surely started to realize I had a little bit of range. Mm. I could take three steps to the left or right. I could tentatively mm-hmm. move forward <laughs> and maybe if I put a hand on the ground first, lean down to pick up the ball, do a very slow transfer and a fake throw to first. <laughs> um, but the satisfaction of being able to move mm-hmm. and scoop up a tennis, it's something I take for granted now. Right. It's something I... I forget that there was a time I couldn't do it. Um, that moment of movement is something I've carried with me my whole life. And for me, that's as tied up in the Mets and excitement as, let's just throw some magical Mets moment. Let's say it feels to me like at a, a two out rally in the 10th inning of game six of the World Series. It feels like Andy Chavez reaching over the fence to catch that. Oh, man, I still can't talk about that game 12 yeah. years later. <laughs> but it felt like, you know, that 12 to 6 curveball. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it was just like, I can't believe that this is possible. Yeah. And, like, I could also, like, backpedal without falling down. And it was something, like, for the first time in my life, athletic movement. Wow. And it felt great. But I had to be careful. Like, don't. Don't run. Mm-hmm. Don't overdo it. You're still trying to right. build your strength. You're eight years old. You've got your whole life ahead of you to figure this out. Don't reach back for that extra <laughs> one or two miles an hour in your fastball. Right. Yeah. Save it. Save it. So next week comes around, and I'm nervous mm-hmm. because, you know, the game, it's opening day. Game starts at 1 o'clock. I'm in second grade. So school's, on, school's running until 3.15. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. I live maybe... 30 yards from the school. 
there's a fence between it, right. so I've got to walk around. It's a further walk, but I can see my school from mm-hmm. you know my little basement window. I knew that if school got out at three fifteen, I could get home as fast as I could, mm-hmm. do my little sort of new walking walk, mm-hmm. my little Rory Calhoun move, and I would get there, and I could probably catch the last inning or catch Kiner's corner, right. see the recap. Something, yeah. But I'm getting nervous because I'm like. I gotta go put WOR on. Mm-hmm. I gotta get to channel nine. So at three o'clock, I'm ready to roll. We got 15 minutes of school left, <laughs> but I'm prepared. I get all my books together. I take my leg brace off mm. because by this point, I realize I can move faster without it. Mm. Dangerous move, but my mom's not looking. Nobody right. else knows. So the teacher's distracted. I just slip out of the room. And I know, I've just got to get to that doorway, Uh and I'm outside in the playground. And then from there, it's 30 yards of grass between me and my house. All I got to do is get there. So I walk out, sort of purposefully walking, but trying not to attract attention to myself, Mm -hmm. which probably put a big sign on my head, like, this kid's sneaking out to go see the Mets. (laughs) So all I got to do is get to the fence, and I'm free and clear. Like, I don't think that, oh, somebody can just walk up and grab me by the arm. I'm like, end of school property is freedom. I don't understand how things work. (laughs) So I get there. I hear my teacher call me from down the hall. Uh He's like, William, it's not dismissal. Come back. So I pretend I don't hear her. And I keep going. And I'm going to say after all these years, Miss Acunzo... If you're listening, I'm very sorry for my disrespect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I put my head down and I headed for the door as fast as I could walk. And I pushed that door open and it's playground, grass, fence, my house. Mm-hmm. All I got to do is get there. But at the same time, my teacher starts walking down the hall behind me. Mm-hmm. And I'm torn because on one hand, I have a healthy respect for authority. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I love the Mets. Yeah. And this is my dream. Like, I'm about to watch the Mets and I can sit in my house and reenact the whole game. I have no brace on. My body feels different. I feel healed. I feel strong for the first time in my life. And my teacher is coming down the hall faster and faster. And I look back at her and I look at the fence. And for the first time in my life, I put my head down and I run. And I run home to see the Mets. Yeah. And I made it. You made it. Oh, man. And it was great. I got I got a little... And I made it. a little scared there. I thought <sighs> like something terrible was going to happen. But you made it. It was great. That was the first time I ran. Wow. Was to see the Mets. That's amazing. Now, when you went back in the next day, did you get in trouble? Yeah, I got in trouble. But it was worth it. But it was totally worth it. It was worth it. Totally worth it. Here's the, the side note to that story. <laughs> I don't remember if the Mets won or lost that game. I'd have to look it up. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. Here's the thing that matters. Um, 30 years after that surgery, I ran a marathon for the first time. I remember that, yeah. And the first thing, one of the first things I did after, you know, recovering was I looked up to see if the doctor who performed my surgery was still alive. Oh, wow. And he is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wrote him a letter. Oh, wow. To thank him for making the life that I have today possible. Well, that was a wonderful note on which to start what I think we both hope will be an up season. I certainly hope so. Um, 
And I also think this is a this is a really good way to launch season two mm-hmm. of Flushing Transit Authority. Um, uh, we're gonna have this episode out probably in the next couple of days, and then I think um, if memory serves, we when we talk scheduling, we're gonna have another one in a couple of weeks um, at the end of March, probably right around the end of spring training, uh, start of the season. And I'm uh, I'm I'm working on a story about um, the the one time that I actually went to spring training uh, in Port St. Lucie. But we'll, uh, we'll, get, we'll get to that next time. Um, for now, I think uh, before, we, uh, before we wrap this one up, we should, I think, just take a couple of minutes to, to talk about what we are looking forward to this season. What, is, what has changed? There's been a lot, a lot of things have changed in this team since we last spoke. Um, some for the positive, some perhaps for the negative. Um, a lot with very, very big question marks. Um, if you had to pick one thing that you're looking forward to this season, what would it be? I am looking forward to the continued development of the shortstop and first baseman, Mitt Rosario and Dominic Smith, um, respectively. I am looking forward to seeing um, Matt Harvey reestablish himself as, if not a, certainly I'm not expecting him to be a top flight major league starter, but a capable and dependable arm. I'm looking forward to seeing the Mets under Mickey Calloway. That for me is the big thing that, that, you know, maybe they didn't go out and get the big name. You know, I still am having trouble accepting that Giancarlo Stanton is a Yankee. That's that, just, that is a world. I don't even want to think I about. I don't even want to think about that. So maybe, maybe the Mets did not get, um, Kristen Yelich the way that I wanted them to. They or uh, Marcelo Zuna. Marcelo Zuna. They did not get Dee Gordon, who has been sent to Seattle. Yep. Um, but the one change that they made was in hiring this manager. Yeah. And it's going to be really interesting to see if this culture change that they're talking about actually can uh, can take root. Mm-hmm. Um I'm going to be very interested to see what happens the first moment the uh, New York media um, starts to poke holes in Mickey Calloway's uh, positivity mantra. Well, I mean, we've already gone through, I guess we should call it um, dry humping gate with Mickey Calloway, (laughs) which we can thank um, Newsday reporter Laura Albanese for bringing that um, into our lives. That sort of felt like like them giving him his one gimme. Like, it's like, all right, we'll let you off the hook on this one, but... You know, there's going to come and it's going to happen relatively quickly that he's going to say something in a press conference with his, you know, tone of positivity that he has in everything. And they're just going to rip him to shreds. And right. It's going to be interesting to see how the conversation continues. Right. After that. Well, now, let me ask you one other question. What do you think the biggest loss has been between last season and this one? Who's not here anymore? Who is gone who did they not bring back what has changed that is going to be the thing that bothers you the most well you know what's funny is when you look at the roster that as it's currently constructed compared to the roster at the beginning of the 2017 season essentially it's interchangeable Mm -hmm. now look i have a personal preference in the sense that two of my favorite mets were curtis granderson and lucas duda they all they left mid-year in trades um, and they're not here. But otherwise, like, hey, the the swap of Jay Bruce and bringing Jay Bruce back 
like that's great but as far as like who's gone the things that they've replaced them with are essentially it's interchangeable parts and it makes me nervous because essentially we're going into 2018 with the same type of roster we like i'm running the, i hate when i yes, do that yes. but the mets are going into the year with essentially the same roster that they went into 2017 with and expecting different results mm-hmm. we know what that is the definition of yes yes um i'd say for me this may be a little bit of a left field um pick here but the one loss that the team has suffered in the offseason that bothers me more than anything else is losing mark Kerrig. Um, Good point. Writer, he did Craig, great work. did great, great work for Newsday. Um, now writes for The Athletic and covers the Yankees. And I, I feel like Mr. Kurig may have burned a bridge on the way out of Queens. Uh, it's entirely possible. It's entirely possible. He wrote a couple of really inflammatory um, pieces in the offseason. And there was a lot of like, oh my God, like, are they going to keep, you know, giving you access? And well, maybe he knew he wasn't going to need it after, right. uh, for much longer. Yeah. Um, I have plunked down the money for a subscription to The Athletic. I plan on doing um, the same. I'm just see how that uh, how that goes. I forget the name of the writer that they brought in to, um, to cover the Mets beat. Um, I know that there was somebody who had been covering um, the Marlins last yeah. year. I forget yeah, his name. Forget and his name. I'm sorry, my... I'm, we'll get on that. I have to get to beatwriters.org. Yeah. To uh, it's still spring. We're still we're still in, you know spring training shape. We'll we'll get we'll get up on that. Yeah. You know, the other thing that I'm kind of looking into, and maybe this is just when you talk about what's unique about the Mets, is there is always a disconnect between the Mets sort of on the field manager in this case Mickey Calloway and the ownership. Yes. The tone is always different, and what I worry about is. How long does Mickey Calloway's positivity last in the face of Jeff Wilpon? <laughs> you know, because the first time the Mets lose three games in a row, yep. Mickey Calloway is going to say, my guys are working hard. This is, you know, trust the process. Don't worry. It's a long season. And then what you get is the Jeff Wilpon or Fred Wilpon vote of confidence, which says, oh, this season's over now. <laughs> so I'm very curious yeah. to see. The thing I'm looking forward forward to is the wrong word. The thing I'm watchful for is how does Sandy Alderson, whose side is he on? Mm-hmm. Is he a buffer between ownership and the team? Or is he there to support the people who are cutting his paycheck? Can't blame Sandy either way. You know, and this is something that, again, we, we sort of got away from last year, but I remember talking early on uh, when we started the podcast last year in, in that I'm starting to see not a lot of difference between fan mentality when it comes to sports and fan mentality when it comes to entertainment. Right. And, you know, TV and movies. And, and you know, if you look at things like something like uh, a property, like let's just pick one out of a hat, Star Wars, and how... You know, the the solo movie that's coming out in a few months, their directors were fired mid-production. And, yeah. And, you know, and there's a lot of hand-wringing about what does this mean? What does this mean? Who's in charge? And, you know, there's somebody whose job it is to make this stuff happen. And they have people that work under them that need to listen to what they say. But they also have people over them cutting the checks. And whether or not you're, you're Sandy Alderson or you're Kathleen Kennedy... You know, you have many different masters mm-hmm. to balance and keep happy. And we all think it's easy 
to tell them how to do their jobs. Right. We do not have any idea what pressures they are under. And, and it's easy for us to say like, well, you should not listen to management. Like, like they don't know what they're talking about. The owners, the owners don't know what they're talking about. They should stop meddling. It's their money. <laughs> they're cutting like, the checks. Or... They're cutting the checks. You don't get to ignore them. And the thing is like the gift and the curse of the news world that we live in, the media world we live in is we know way more than we ever knew before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that makes us smarter, but it also makes us think we're smarter than we are. Yes. Yes. So I think if there's one theme that that we will keep coming back to over this year is that we are dumber than we think we are. I second that. And I think that's a really great note on which to close. Uh, uh, episode one, season two of Flushing Transit Authority. Um, really glad to be back. Looking Me too. Forward to it. Yeah, this is going to be great. This is going to be fun. And thank you for listening. And, you know, as, as every podcast likes to remind you when they get, get to the end, if you like what you've heard, hell, even if you don't like what you've heard, like us, rate us, review us on on all your various different um, podcast platforms so we can, you know, reach out to find new people who want to hear us prattling on about yes. the Mets. You know, tell an enemy. Don't just tell a friend. Yeah. If you're a Yankee fan, tell an enemy. Do whatever you want to do. <laughs> but, you know, Jay, I look forward to doing this. We're going to be back probably in about... We're gonna, as Jay said, we're going to hold off until the season starts before doing another one of these. We just wanted to sort of reintroduce ourselves. So let's enjoy the rest of spring training. Yeah. And as they say, we will see you at the baseball movies. <laughs> Thank you, Jay. Thanks. <laughs>